Are we being saved or will we be saved? And the answer is yes. Yes. We are being saved and we will be saved because we have been saved. Let, let me just give you a little diagram here. I don't know if you can see this, if it's going to show up too well on the screen or not. But we can understand this better if we remember that we are triune beings created in the image of God. That we as human beings, we are a body, soul, and spirit. Now, when Paul talked about the past tense of our salvation, he was referring to our spirit. Because the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at that moment, your spirit entered into a perfect relationship with God the Father from that moment. But when he talks about us presently being saved, being saved, he was referring to our soul. Because our soul is presently being saved. Our mind, our will, our emotions. That's why your spirit can have a perfect relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But you can still be struggling with some issues in your soul because you are being saved. We're not all perfect yet. But one day we will be. And then when he talked about the future tense of our salvation, he was referring to the resurrection of our bodies, that our bodies one day will be saved. And you heard me describe it like this, that the theological terms are this, in my spirit I've been justified, in my soul I'm being sanctified, and in my body one day I'm going to be glorified. But when it comes to that past tense aspect of salvation, there are seven things that I want us to be sure about today before we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in water. And the first thing that we need to know about our salvation is this, and that is that our salvation is a gift. It is a gift. Remember what the Apostle Paul said here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now listen, we've got to get this straight because if we don't get this straight, it's going to mess up everything else. That salvation is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. Does that make sense? Because we were not saved by our works, we are saved by grace through faith. You see, someone else, if somebody gives you a gift or if somebody gives me a gift, they've already bought and paid for the gift. So that when you receive the gift, you just receive it freely. You don't have to pay for a gift. If you have to pay for a gift that somebody has given you, it's not a gift, friend. It's not. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said here in Ephesians or in Romans chapter 11 verse 6. He said, if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Other words or otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. That can be kind of a tongue twister there, can it? 
But basically what he's saying is this. He's saying in order for grace to be grace, it has to be grace. And in order for works to be works, it has to be works. It's not grace and works or grace or works. We are saved by grace. And it is a gift of God that we freely receive by faith. The gift has already been bought and paid for. All God is waiting for you to do is receive the gift of salvation, open that gift, experience that gift, be blessed by the gift of salvation. But not only is salvation a gift, here's another thing that salvation is. Salvation is eternal life. Well, I tell you, when God does something, God does it right. He gives us, as a gift, he gives us eternal life. Notice what Paul said. He said, for the wages of sin is death. Now, if you want to know what our wages earn us, our wages, the wages of sin, the payday for sin, the payment of sin is death. But he says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. First John chapter 2, verse 25 the writer says it this way, and this is what he, God, promised us. How many of you know that God cannot lie? So when God makes us a promise, you can take that promise to the bank. And he said this, he said, this is what God promised us, eternal life. First John chapter 5, verse 13. The writer said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not just think you have eternal life, but that you might know you have eternal life. Now, when it comes to eternal life, people have two questions. First of all, how long is it? Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's eternal. It's forever. It means I'm going to live forever as a result of making a decision to crown Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords of my life. But the second question people ask you as it relates to eternal life is this. Not only how long is it, but when does it begin? Because here's what most people think. Most people believe that eternal life only begins the moment that you die. And that's not true. Well, let me just back up a moment. In a way, it is true. Because eternal life begins the moment that we die to ourselves. The moment that we are crucified with Christ... The moment that we are born again, that is the moment that eternal life begins. From that moment forward, you and I are going to live forever. You and I are going to experience the life of God forever. And you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to experience the quality of eternal life. You don't have to wait to experience the quantity, but neither do you have to wait to experience the quality because I'm telling you, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any more uh, challenges in life. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any more adversity. Matter of fact, you might have more adversity because now instead of walking with the devil, you're walking in opposite directions. 
And sooner or later, there's going to be a confrontation. Sooner or later, you and the devil are going to butt heads, no doubt, in my mind. But the moment that you accept Jesus Christ, what he does is he begins to bless you with the resources that you need to live an overcoming life because he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And so what does he do? He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the authority of the name of Jesus. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us love. He gives us hope. He gives us grace. He gives us everything we need to live and overcome in life while we're still here on this earth. Amen. I'm going to tell you this morning, salvation is so much better than most people think it is. Because some people think my life didn't begin when I got saved. My life ended. And in a sense, it does. And that's the reason some people don't come to Jesus is because they don't see their life beginning with Jesus. They see their life ending with Christ. Oh, but can I tell you, life with Christ cannot be described. It is indescribable. What joy. It is grace. It is eternal life. It is a gift. But here's a third thing that salvation is. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Notice what the scripture says. Acts 13, 38, 39. I love this passage of scripture because Paul is in a place called Antioch. And he's in the synagogue and some of the Pharisees are in the synagogue and they make a big mistake because these, these Pharisees, when they're done saying what they want to say, they then open the floor. Would anybody else like to say something? Paul raises up his hand. Apostle Paul does. He says, I got something I want to say. And he goes up and he begins to preach the gospel and he comes down to this passage of scripture in verse 38. He said, therefore, my friends... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Now, did you just read what the Bible says? This is not my manuscript. This is the word of God. And he said that everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Jeremiah 31, 34, God said, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's good news for us here today. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is complete release from the penalty that was against us. Complete release, not partial release to wait and see if we were going to be good enough to earn the rest. No, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are completely released from the penalty that was against you because of your sin. God said, I forgive you and I will remember your sins no more. Now notice, he does not say, I will forget your sins. But what he does say is, I will remember their sins no more. There's a difference. Because what God is saying, and you've heard me say this before, God is saying that your sins are now under the blood. Your sins have not just been covered, your sins have been cleansed. Your sins have been washed away. 
Matter of fact, he said it like this in Psalm 103, verse 12. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You can measure the distance between the north and south. We have our north pole and our south pole. But you cannot measure the distance between the east and the west. And God said, I've removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And God says, I'm not going to travel back east or I'm not going to travel back west to remember the sins you've committed. Now here's what that means. It just simply means that the next time you fail... And you will because the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he doesn't stay down. He keeps getting up. And I wish I had only fallen seven times in my life. Some of you may wish you had only fallen seven times in your life. And I think that number is more symbolic than it is literal. But he said a righteous man falls seven times. And I'm thankful this morning that God is faithful. Because here's what he's saying when he said, I, I choose to not remember your sins anymore. He's saying that the next time you fail, the next time you sin, the next time you make a mistake, even if it's in the same area that you failed last time, I'm not going to bring back to your remembrance. I'm not going to throw into your face what you did last time and what I did for you last time. Man, I tell you, if we could forgive like that as human beings, we would have much stronger relationships, wouldn't we? But what we do is we say we have forgiven, but the moment we get into another argument or the moment we're hurt again, we want to throw right back out what you did to me last time. But God said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep bringing your sins up. Your sins are cleansed. Your sins are gone forever. As far as the east is from the west, they've been removed from you. This is better than you think it is, Summerton Church of God. Come on, we ought to give God a praise for our salvation today. Amen. But it's so much more than forgiveness. The Bible says it's justification. What does that big word justification mean? It means that I have been declared righteous before God. Me. You, those of us who've put our trust in Jesus, it means that we have now been declared righteous before God. Paul said it like this in Romans 3. He said, for all have sinned and shall fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified. Look at this, this is important. Freely, by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, I haven't been justified. I haven't been declared righteous before God because of something I did. But I have been declared righteous before God because of what Jesus has done. And all I've got to do is put my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done. And the moment that I do, then I'm declared righteous in the sight of God. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Because of who Jesus is. Because of his redemption. I've been justified. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.16. And he really says the same thing three times here. He said, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law... 
no one will be justified. Now, what he says over three times here, he says this. He says, we're not justified by our works. We are justified by what Jesus did for us. That, that's, that's all he is saying there. Now, listen, God is a just God, and I want you to get what I'm about to say. God is a just God. And because God is a just God, justice says that he has to sentence me to heaven. You say, whoa, 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 now hang on. See, because some people misunderstand this. I've had people ask me over and over and over again, Pastor, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? Listen to me this morning. Our loving God has never sent anyone to hell. I don't know about you, but when I came to God, he didn't have to send me to hell. I was already on my way to hell when I came to God. But the moment that I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ, he redirected my life. And I'm no longer on my way to hell, but now he has sentenced me to heaven. Oh, where I'll spend eternity with him. Folks, I'm telling you, this is better than we think it is. Look at your neighbor and say, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah, declared righteous. But not only is it justification, it is also righteousness. Now, we need to understand this morning the difference between righteousness and righteous living. Righteousness is my position before God. Right living is the practical way in which I live out that righteousness. If I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I am, but if I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I will live a righteous life. It's not the other way around. It's not you become righteousness by living righteously. You live righteously because you've been made righteousness before God through Christ Jesus. You can't do something that you're not. Did you hear me? That's why a lot of people cannot live a righteous life because they're trying to live a righteous life and they've not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can only live a righteous life when you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is better than we think it is this morning. I'm about to get happy thinking about my salvation today. It's righteousness. Notice in Romans chapter 4 verse 3, it says that Abraham, an Old Testament patriarch, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I love that word, accounted, because he's talking about accounts, literally. And we know what accounts are. We talk about accounts, that we have checking accounts and saving accounts and investment accounts and retirement accounts, and we, we talk about moving things from one account to the other. And I'm just going to tell you, when I came to God, my sin account was full. It was full to overflowing. My righteousness account was empty because the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. 
But Jesus, when he came, his righteousness account was full. His sin account was empty. But I want you to know how much God loved every one of us here this morning because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God took all of the sin out of my account and he put it into the account of Jesus and he took righteousness out of the account of Jesus and put it into my account. That's how much God loves us. And let me tell you this, not only did Jesus die for my sins, not only was my sins taken and put into the account of Jesus. But the Bible says that the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, the sins of the whole world were taken and placed into the account of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that everybody's saved. No, why? Because you've got to believe. You've got to make a choice today. I mean, the price has already been paid. There is nothing more that God can do to pay the price for our salvation. Jesus has done everything he can do to pay the price. He has shed his blood to redeem us. All that we need to do now is receive it. It's a free gift to receive it by faith. You say, that sounds so easy. It is. But as you're going to find out here in just a moment, it takes one big major hard step for a lot of folks to take. But notice, he said that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might have and become the righteousness of God. He became sin so that we could become. He took upon himself our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something else. John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus, when he talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be here with you always, but I'm going to send you a helper. And he said, this is what the helper is going to do. He said that when the helper comes, first thing he's going to do is he's going to convict. That word convict just simply means convince. I can't convince anyone of their sin, but Holy Spirit can. So I let him. It's not my job to convince you or to convict you of your sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, but then notice this, he will also convict us of righteousness or convince us of righteousness. See, when the Holy Spirit came and took up residence on the inside of me, he came to do more than just convict me of my sin. He came to convince me that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And every day I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, don't you ever forget you belong to God. Don't you ever forget the price that I paid for you. Don't you ever forget that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because the enemy would like to get me to doubt my righteousness and doubt my position before God because of the way sometimes I may practically live out my life, but Jesus, the power of the Holy Ghost, is always reminding me that I am the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did and because of my faith in him. Oh, somebody, come on, help me praise God today. This is so good. 
act righteousness. Here's the fifth, the sixth thing. We're about to wrap it up. It's redemption. I'm not going to spend much time here. You just go back several weeks where I preached a whole message on redemption and what redemption is, but it just simply means that we have been bought, that we are not our own. Paul said it like this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Have you ever had your car impounded or your pet impounded? And you had to go and redeem your car or your pet or bail somebody out of jail? That's what he's talking about. You and I were in a prison of sin. We had been impounded. But Jesus came and he paid the full penalty for our sin in order to set us free. It's redemption. But this last thing I'm going to talk to you about, because all of these other things we shout about, man, yeah, it's, it's a gift. It's eternal life. It's grace. It's justification. It's righteousness. It's redemption. But here's where most people struggle right here. It's total commitment. Because listen to what the word of the Lord says here in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus said to this, he said, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you do not do what I say? Listen to what he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does. Notice, it's not the one who says, but it's the one you can see by the fruit of their life. He said, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, notice he didn't say a few, but he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? In verse 23, now get this. He said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. People who called him Lord, Lord, but didn't do what he said. People who said, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We performed miracles in your name. But he said, I tell them, I never knew you. Now, now, a lot of people use this passage of Scripture, and you need to stop doing it if you are. You need to stop doing it. But a lot of people use this passage of Scripture to, to say, listen, see, I, I told you that it's possible for you to be saved and then to lose your salvation. Now, I'm not saying it's not possible to lose your salvation. I'm just saying this is not a good scripture to use to try to prove that. Because you notice what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, I once knew you, but now I don't. Do you hear that? He didn't say, I once knew you, but now I'm not. He said, no, I never knew you. So it really comes down to this. How can I know I'm really saved? It comes down to this question. Are you ready? Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Because if you're still the boss, if you are still in control, you're going to spend eternity in hell. 
And listen, you need somebody bold enough to tell you that. You need somebody who loves you enough to tell you that. So that when you do die and stand before God, you can't say, but Lord, nobody ever told me. I'm telling you this morning, it takes total commitment. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. The problem is there's a lot of people that are not sure about their salvation. Today we talked about that salvation is a gift. The Bible says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus has already bought and paid for your salvation and mine. So all we have to do today is receive that free gift by faith. But it's more than just a gift, it's also total commitment. So if you want to be sure of your salvation today, it depends on how you answer the question, who's the boss? Because when we come to Christ, we have to make Him the boss of our lives. We don't do things our way anymore, we do things His way. I want to pray with you right now. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. Jesus, we are so thankful that you paid the price to purchase our salvation, and now all we have to do is receive this free gift by faith. Lord Jesus, we surrender complete control of our life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we look forward to seeing you here at Summerton Church of God. We meet every Sunday morning at 1045, and we'd love to have you as our guest.